the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Southern California Live, Tuesday afternoon on KKLA. I'm Bob Lapine. It is uh, 4 o'clock in Southern California, and it's you and me this hour, the two of us. We're going to be talking. I I need your help, actually. Um, There's a conversation. It's extended conversation, been going on for years, that I'd love to have your input on. Um, here's the question. As you're raising sons and daughters today, what is that? how does that look different for you as you raise your young boys to be young men and your young girls to be young women? At, at the nexus of this question is this. What does the Bible tell us identifies godly masculinity and how is that different than godly femininity and again i'm i'm thinking within the parameters of what the scriptures teach about this we we have and and i i will say this i think we can look beyond the scriptures and draw conclusions from what we see in natural law or in the created order i don't think we are exclusively limited to what the scriptures say about masculinity and femininity to draw conclusions about God's design. But I do think we should start there. And I've had a lot of conversations with parents over the years where the question has come up, um, if, if you want to raise boys to be godly young men, girls to be godly young women, if you want to take the, con, the, the ideas of masculinity and femininity and you want to uh, teach those, teach your sons to be masculine young men, teach your daughters to be feminine young women. If, if we want to add, if, if we want to put some weight on those concepts, what does that mean? And, and when do we go too far in that? I'll give you an example. One of my sons came back from a youth retreat with the church. Uh, he had been at the retreat for the weekend. And he came back. I said, how was the speaker? He said, he was pretty good, but he, he said, my son was in eighth grade at the time. He said, um, the speaker made a few generalities. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, generalities about gender. He said, uh, he was talking to us and he said, you know, guys and girls are different. He said, I mean, guys like sports and girls like to read. And my eighth grade son looked at me and he said, dad, I love to read, and sports are okay. I mean, I can take them or leave them. So does that mean I'm not a man? Does that mean I'm not masculine because I like to read and I'm not all that big on sports? And that's where I had to look and say that kind of a generality can be harmful to young boys or young girls who are growing up who have non-gender related preferences. Yes, maybe it is that the majority of boys like sports more than reading and girls like to read more than sports. But what about the girls who love sports and the boys who like to read? What do we do with that? 
does the Bible give us specific categories for what it means for a man to be a man and for a woman to be a woman, for what masculinity and femininity look like? And what are you doing in raising your sons or daughters? Are you raising them differently? What are you reinforcing? What are you telling them is God's design for them as young men or as young women? And how do you differentiate between that? Part of what brought this to mind was a speech given recently by uh, the junior senator from the state of Missouri, uh, Josh Hawley, who was invited to speak uh, to an organization uh, called the, uh, who was he speaking to? The National Conservatism Conference in Orlando, Florida. This was about a month ago that he spoke. I'm going to read a portion of his speech to you, and then I'd love to interact with you about masculinity and femininity. The thesis of his speech is this. He's telling us that in our culture today, we are demonizing masculinity in such a way that we are destroying the culture. And I I think he's making some good observations, but then I pull back and I go, okay, what does the Bible say about masculinity and femininity? So let me read to you what Josh Hawley said. He said, I want, I want to talk about tonight the, this fact. He says, the deconstruction of America begins with and depends on the deconstruction of American men. Now, he, he says that this is a strategy of the left. I'm going to use his terms for this. Not everybody who would lean left would agree with him. Not everybody who would re- lean, excuse me, not everybody who would lean left would agree with his categorization of people on the left. Not everybody who leans right would agree with what he thinks about his conclusion. But that's this is these are his words. He says the left wants to define traditional masculinity as toxic. They want to define the traditional masculine virtues. Things like courage and independence and assertiveness as a danger to society. I'm going to pause right there. Courage and independence and assertiveness. He's identifying these as traditional masculine virtues. Now, I know what some of my friends would say. They would say, well, don't we want young women to be courageous? Don't we want young women to be independent and assertive? Why are, why are those masculine virtues? Are we saying that temerity and dependence and being timid, that these are feminine virtues? And there's a point there that we need to pay attention to. So the, you, you feel the tension we're feeling? We want young men to be brave young men, to be courageous young men. We think of courage and, and risk-taking and putting yourself in harm's way and in danger as something that is unique to men and important for men. And and for a man to to step in and protect women, we would expect that more than we would expect for a woman to step in and, and protect a man. And And there's something to this that is by God's design. Uh, Josh Hawley goes on to say, that this effort 
to define traditional masculine virtues as toxic. The left has been at this for years now, he says, and they've had an alarming success. Men, American men, are working less, getting married in fewer numbers, and fathering fewer children. American men are suffering more anxiety and depression. They're engaging in more substance abuse than ever. Many men in this country are in crisis, and their ranks are swelling. And it's not just a crisis for men, he says. It's a crisis for the republic. Because the problem with the left's assault on the masculine virtues is that those same self-qualities are the very ones the left now vilifies as dangerous and toxic. These have long been regarded as vital to self-government. Observers from the ancient Romans to our forefathers identified manly virtues as indispensable for political liberty. Now, maybe they were wrong and today's left is right. Again, this is Josh Hawley speaking. Maybe virtue isn't needed for liberty. Or maybe the only necessary virtues are the ones that modern liberals are are pointing us to, tolerance and compliance, and I suppose consumption. Maybe all you need to be a good citizen, after all, is to be a good consumer. Now he's saying that tongue-in-cheek, right? He says, but it doesn't look that way. It's hard to argue that our democracy is in better shape today than it was 30 or 40 years ago. It's hard to believe that our liberty is more secure today than it was 30 or 40 years ago. It's hard to accept that the pathologies gripping so many American men are good for American society. In fact, he says, I'd contend just the opposite. Now, this is not to say, again, this is Josh Hawley speaking, not to say that American women aren't central to this story. Far from it. American women have shaped our culture every bit as much as men. And their virtues are every bit as necessary to the successes of our republic. And indeed, the left is carrying its own assault on womanhood, on the very idea of gender. Many of my Democratic colleagues in the Senate, Holly says, won't even say the word mother anymore, for heaven's sake. Birthing people is the term of choice, as if women don't exist. And left-wing advocates across the country are trying to destroy women's sports as if men and women are somehow interchangeable. This is part of the deconstructionist agenda. But Holly says, I want us to focus on the deconstruction of men, not because men are more important, but because I believe this attack on men has been the tip of the spear on the left's broader attack on America. I believe this attack on men is already far advanced. Even as I describe the danger, I still believe there's cause for hope. For while the left's assault on manhood has been sharp and prolonged, it has not yet succeeded. And we must make it our aim as conservatives to see that it does not succeed. And by the way, I would say we must make it our aim as followers of Christ to make sure that God's design for maleness and femaleness is not negated, not separated, that that we don't mesh it all together. When When we take Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28, he created them male and female. When we take that and we say, well, now there are 50 genders or 
there's no differentiation between men and women. When, when we do that, we're saying to the creator and the designer, we reject your creation and your design. And we do that at our own peril. As a culture, we're really shaking our fist at the creator and saying we know better than you how things should be. All right, back to Josh Hawley. He says, we must seek a revival of strong and healthy manhood in America. We need men who will shoulder responsibility. Men who will start and provide for families. Men who will enter the covenant of marriage and then honor it. We need men to raise up sons and daughters after them, to pass on the great truths of our culture and history, to defend liberty, to share in the work of self-government. We need the kind of men who make republics possible. And it's not too much to say that our ability to get that kind of men will determine the success of our long experiment in liberty. He presses the point at this point. He says the left's attack on America leads directly to an attack on manhood. For years, he said, Democrats and other leftists have insisted that American society is systematically oppressive, systematically evil and unjust. They've said that so much, they've said it so much and so often that to them it's become a truism, become the very cornerstone of their worldview. Listen to our current president who, as president, has repeatedly referred to America's systemic racism. His administration has loudly called for new gender equity agenda to right the structural injustices of our society. His nominees have advocated critical race theory and training in equity for federal workers. All of this points to how the deconstruction agenda, which is being played out in our in our world today is undermining what America has been about for centuries. He he goes on and and we'll I'm going to speak more to what he says but I just want to pause here for a second and say is his thesis right? Do we need men to embrace what has been traditional masculine virtues, courage, uh, to be risk takers, to to assume responsibility. Well, I'll tell you a story. This was years ago. My son was, my oldest son, who is now, let's see, he was born in 88, right? So he's now 33 years old. Uh, we were out riding bikes one day. He was five or six. And I said to him, hey, buddy, um, I got a question for you. I said, what makes a boy different than a girl. <laughs> and he looked over at me and he's, he it was like, don't you know? <laughs> and I said, he said, you know, dad. And I said, yeah, I know, but I want to hear what, what it is. And he said, well, his private parts. And I smiled and said, you're right about that. I was, I, he, he was clear on that. Right. And I said, that's, that's right. I said, is there anything else? other than the fact that our private parts are different, that makes boys and girls different. And that caused him to ponder and think for a second. 
And it opened up a conversation. Here's, I told him at the end of the bike ride, I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get together on Saturday mornings, you and me. We'll go out for biscuits and gravy because we live in the South, and that's what we do in the South, biscuits and gravy. I don't know if you do that in California, but in the South, biscuits and gravy, okay? I said, we're going to go out for biscuits and gravy, and we're just going to talk about manhood. I bought him a notebook and a pen. We called the notebook his manhood journal. He brought it with him. And we would talk about what it means for a man to be a man. And I I borrowed some of uh, what we talked about from books I'd been reading, speakers I'd been listening to. And there was a definition of manhood that a pastor, Dr. Robert Lewis, had come up with that was a good launching point for us to discuss God's design for manhood. Robert Lewis said there are four things that define masculinity. He said a real man, number one, accepts responsibility. He, he said a real man is going to assume the weight of responsibility. When, when he marries, he's going to assume responsibility for his wife and his family. When he takes a job, he's going to assume responsibility for what it is that's been entrusted to him. He doesn't run from it. He doesn't flee from it. He straps on responsibility and says, this, this is mine to oversee and I will, I will do my duty here. That's number one. A real man accepts responsibility. Number two, a real man rejects passivity. This is a one, we came back to this one over and over and over again throughout his teen years and his brother's teen years. The the characteristic that real men reject passivity. It's the flip side of accepting responsibility. It's the natural inclination for a lot of men, the sinful inclination for a lot of men to be passive In fact, Robert Lewis would say it was the original sin. Before the woman ate the fruit, there was a man standing right there with her as the the serpent was tempting her, and that man didn't speak up, didn't step in, didn't didn't say to his new wife, sweetheart, no, 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 We, we shouldn't do this. God doesn't want us to do this. Adam was passive. You you say, I didn't realize he was right there. Well, that's what Genesis 2 says. It says that when the woman looked at the tree, saw that the fruit looked good, pleasing, it says she took it and she ate it and she gave it to the man who was with her. He, He was right there and his passivity his failure to step in and to say, we, we should not be doing this, is, is what brought all of this in. A real man accepts responsibility, rejects passivity. The third thing Robert Lewis says is that a real man leads courageously. Uh, he understands that if, there's, if, he's, if he's in a situation where there's somebody else who's the appointed leader, he doesn't, we can't have all men leading simultaneously at the same time. But a real man will step up and say, okay, I'll, I'll assume responsibility and I will lead others here and do that courageously. He had a fourth, so accept responsibility, reject passivity, lead courageously. His fourth 
quality was he expects the greater reward. A real man knows that ultimately the reward for his living out his masculinity, that reward is going to happen later. It's going to come when he stands before God who says, well done. You lived out my purposes for you in this life. You embraced my design for you as a man and you did these things. Now, later, I had a friend to me who recommended there there ought to be a fifth characteristic. So he said, I, I agree, accept responsibility, reject passivity, lead courageously. He said, I would throw in, he loves sacrificially, especially for husbands. But that that's true, I think, of all men, that they lay down their lives sacrificially to love others. Leads courageously, accepts responsibility, rejects passivity, loves sacrificially and then expects the greater reward. Those, those have been five benchmarks that I taught my boys over biscuits and gravy uh, as their manhood training during their childhood. And I think it served them well as they have grown into young men. Here's my question for you. Do we have a crisis of manhood? What do we need to do to call men to be men? Are these arbitrary cultural categories, or is God behind this? What passages of Scripture do you point men to to help define what masculinity is all about? And how are you raising your boys to be young men differently than you're raising your girls to be young women? How are you impressing the ideas of masculinity and femininity in a gender-crazed, gender-confused culture? That's the question And we'll open up the lines at 888-52-TALKS for your thoughts. 888-528-2557. I would love your input on this. I'd love to know what you're doing. 888-528-2557. Email us at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. We will get to your phone calls after we take a quick time out. Stay with us. You're listening to Southern California Live on KKLA. Twenty-six after four, Southern California live on KKLA. Bob Lapine on a Tuesday afternoon. Thanks for being with us. We're talking this afternoon about a recent speech from Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri, who is talking about a crisis of masculinity in our culture, masculinity under attack in certain quarters in the culture. In his speech, he mentioned that West Point cadets recently had to go through mandatory events addressing gender norms and toxic masculinity. One cadet said afterwards, I'm being taught how not to be a man here at West Point. Uh, An author, John Stoltenberg, writes, talking about healthy masculinity is like talking about healthy cancer. Professor Susanna Walters at Northeastern University says it seems logical to hate men unless they pledge to vote for feminist women only and they don't run for office. These are the messages, cultural messages, that men are hearing, and here's how they're responding to it. Men are responding by uh, not going to college, by, by not getting jobs, 
So men are leaving higher education in record numbers. You may know that women now make up 60% of college students, men 40%. They expect it'll be a two-to-one ratio soon. Uh, But this is not just in the higher academy. It's in the grade schools where boys are increasingly treated like an illness in search of a cure. If a boy is too rambunctious, they're diagnosed with uh, hyperactivity disorder and they're medicated into submission. So so the question I've got for you has to do with gender norms, but it has to do with the idea of should we raise our boys and girls to understand masculinity and femininity? Are there differences there? What are you doing how are you raising boys to be men? How are you raising girls to be daughters? And and are your kids confused by all of this? I think a lot of kids are are wildly confused about all of this because the culture is sending them confusing messages. Number to call is 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-2557. Let's go to Rosemead. Addie is on the line with us in Rosemead. Addie, thanks for calling. How are you? Yeah, good to have you on. What's going on? Three months, and I love your show. Thank you. Um, my question to you it was more the question. I, I am having trouble um, with my daughter. She went to school, like I would say, she went to fifth, fifth grade being a little girl, loving, you know, being a girl. And I don't know what happened. She came back. She got out of graduated from fifth grade, and now she says that she is confused. That she thinks she's uh, bisexual. Hmm. Um, she looks like a boy now, uh, and I don't know. I'm confused of what to do, how to help her. My husband is passive. Sadly, it is he's passive. Whatever you know, I say. Or, you know, he, he doesn't help me when it comes to me, you know, I need you to talk to our daughter. He feels afraid even to talk to our daughter. So I am confused of what to do, did, how to did, help her. Did you notice this transition with her from being a little girl to being confused and thinking she's bisexual? Did this happen gradually or did it happen quickly? I will say by sixth grade, she just stopped wearing, like, pink colors, things like that. And I was like, but why? Oh, I don't like it anymore. And then uh, she's like, Mom, can I cut my hair short, like, shoulder length? And I was like, oh, you you look cute, you know? And then she just, for some reason, she just started to wear shorts and shirts. And that was it. That was his attire, her attire. And... And then we went to church and, you know, to a new church, and she, they used to call her um, little boy, hey, is your son uh, coming today? And I'm like, no, it's, it's a girl. She will sit like a boy. She will yeah. walk like a boy. But it was gradually until I find out, you know, she was hanging out with this other little girl that she was, she came out as lesbian. Yeah. And she's like, well, I think I'm confused. Well, yeah, and there of is. Of course, I, I, I got all crazy because I didn't know what to, you know. But I just tell her, this is what I expect from you. When you turn eighteen, you can live your life however you want. But right now, you're under my roof, and this is what the Bible says. And I want to teach you because that's 
that's what I need to tell you and I, what I need to do to teach you what the Bible says. And this is what I expect from you. And yeah, she respects the house. She, she tries so hard to, you know, but I know deep inside, I, I know she's uncomfortable. You know, even wearing a blouse for like Thanksgiving, things like that, she, she feels so uncomfortable. You know, I, I'm hearing this from more and more moms, especially of middle school girls. Um, here's what I'm often hearing. Moms who are telling me that my daughter is saying things like, I think I'm probably, you know, 70% heterosexual, but maybe 30% gay. It's, it's They see themselves on a, a spectrum. And here's what's going on. There's a peer pressure that is, it's, it's in the culture. Uh, you are considered um, to be cool if if you are pressing the norms and if you're following what the cool kids are advocating on TikTok or on social media. I don't know if your daughter's on social media a lot, looking at a lot of YouTubes. I don't know what her friend group looks like, but I will tell you that there are places where uh, for a young man or a young woman – to, to step in and embrace their gender and sexuality as as uh, by God's design and say yeah I'm I'm a guy I'm a I'm heterosexual I'm straight I'm good with that and to live that out and to act that way but for some reason for guys it's they don't face the same pressure that middle school girls are facing in this situation but middle school girls here here's what'll often happen a, a girl in the seventh grade or, or eighth grade, meets an, another girl and they become close friends and and their friendship is a deep friendship and they like being together and they like spending time together and they think together about things and so because they live in a culture that says well if you have if you have a bond with another person that must mean you're gay they think well may, i guess maybe i'm maybe part gay or I, but I still like guys. So maybe I'm bi. I guess that must be what I am. I must be bi because I like both boys and girls. It's because we live in a culture that says, if you like somebody, there must be sexual attraction there. There's such confusion on all of this. And I think you've, I think you got to pray that, that this is a, a phase that your daughter goes through. But I also think that this is this is what you're doing to to pull her back and say we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about this. In fact, uh, I would recommend to you um, there, there, there's a book by Rachel Gilson. I've had the opportunity to interview Rachel and have uh, talked with her about her book. Rachel went off to Yale when she was 18 from California. Went off to Yale and Rachel saw herself as as a lesbian, she was same-sex attracted. As a freshman at Yale, uh, that was that was her the, the way she viewed her identity. And Rachel was confronted with the claims of Christ while she was at Yale, and not only had to recognize that Jesus is in fact Lord, but now all of a sudden, what does that mean for my my sexuality, my gender? Rachel's written a helpful book called Born Again This Way. Tongue a little play on the the is it the Lady Gaga song, Born This Way? Yeah, so it's it's Born Again This Way. And it's her story, but it's also helping uh young women understand what's going on in the culture. Maybe a book that 
the two of you could read together or that she would find helpful. Here, what, what I did with my kids when they were the age of your daughter, I would often say, how would you like to make $20 or $30, whatever, you, whatever the going rate would be? Yeah, how can I do that? I'm going to give you a book to read, and you read it, and I want to see that you've underlined parts of it. And then I want a two-page book report on what you learned from the book. And at the end of that, I'll give you $20 or $30 or, again, whatever the going rate is. I might go to your daughter and say, you want to make 50 bucks? Yeah. Read this book, Born Again This Way. Highlight it. Write me a book report, and I'll give you 50 bucks. And just expose her to smart people who are thinking differently than she is. That's that's uh, that's a suggestion for you. And, Adi, I, w- I want to take just a minute. I'm going to pray for you and for your daughter um, and, and for all of the, the middle school girls. I, I know a lot of you listening, you've got kids or grandkids in this stage. Man, it's rough. So, Lord Jesus, would you be with Adi and her daughter, and would you open the door into the souls of these young women so that the Spirit of God can bring clarity and truth and fresh wind, help them to be strong and resistant against the spirit of the age, help them to embrace your design, your good design for who they are. And Lord, we pray that you would help Adi give her wisdom as she interacts with her daughter. Pray for a breakthrough, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Adi, for calling. 888-52-TALKS is the number, 888-528-2557. We're talking not just about gender confusion, but specifically about what does it mean for a boy to be a man? What does it mean for a girl to be a woman? How do we define those things? Where does the Bible point us? Uh, we're, We're talking about the speech that Senator Josh Hawley gave recently on this subject and about what happens in a culture when we lose a sense of of manhood. We'll continue that conversation and take your calls at 888-52-TALKS in just a minute. You're listening to Southern California Live on KKLA. Southern California Live on KKLA. I'm Bob Lapine. 17 minutes before 5 o'clock, we're talking this afternoon about what is the, the, the essence of manhood, masculinity? What, what is the essence of womanhood and femininity? Are these biblical concepts or cultural constructs? And how, how vital are they? Some of this spurred on from a speech given recently from Missouri Senator Josh Hawley, who, uh, who spoke on what he sees as the attack on manhood in our culture today. And and by the way, we're taking your calls at 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-2557. We'd, I'd love to hear from you, your thoughts on this subject, and specifically, what are you doing to raise your boys to be men, to raise your girls to be women? The American Psychological Association recently advised that conforming to traditional masculinity ideology has been shown to limit males' psychological development. What they're saying is if, if you raise boys to be men using traditional thinking, 
You're going to limit them. You're going to negatively influence their mental health and their physical health. Or as Josh Hawley says, they're saying manhood is now a disease to be defeated. Gillette, the the razor blade company, ran an ad campaign in 2019 that included the voiceover, bullying, me too, movements against sexual harassment, toxic masculinity. Is this the best a man can get? Well, nobody supports bullying or me too. And and there is such a thing as manhood gone amok. There is such a thing as men who are taking traditional masculine virtues like assertiveness and aggressiveness and courage, and they're using it inappropriately, and and they're using it for their own good or for their own goals. I'm not endorsing that at all. God made us male and female, and there's something to be noticed in that. Josh Hawley goes on in his speech to say, Since 1965, the number of adult men between the ages of 20 and 64 who are not working, not even looking for work, completely and totally out of the labor force, the number of adult men not working has quintupled. In the 1960s, there were 3 million men in our country who were not working, not looking for work, out of the labor force. In 2015, it was 16 million men. And the less men work, he says, the less men marry. Marriage rates are plummeting. The age of first marriage continues to rise. Men are pushing off commitment further and further into the future. By 2010... A majority of men in this country between 25 and 34 had never married, and that trend has accelerated since then. And when there are fewer marriages, that means there are fewer fathers in the home. By last year, 18 million American children lived without a father present in their home. That's more than a quarter of all children in America. And when fathers are not in the home, There's increased childhood poverty, childhood depression, poor academic performance. Now, listen to me. I want to be clear here, especially to single moms who are listening right now. If you're in a position where you're a single mom, you've got kids in the home, you hear statistics like this, and it can break your heart. These statistics don't mean that your child is is stuck with this because they're in a single-parent home. There are a lot of amazing men and women today who were raised by single parents who who defeated the odds because mom did everything she could do. And I, I'm convinced of this. You do everything you can do, you trust God, He will He will bring beauty from the ashes. But the statistics don't lie. There are more kids facing pathologies because dad's not in the home. Josh Hawley in his speech says, I'm not here to tell you that men are victims. The last thing we need in this country is more of a victim mindset. Men who blame others for their problems as they slink away to do nothing or worse, who embrace violence and cruelty, they deserve rebuke. He's right. Responsibility is one of God's greatest gifts to mankind. 
and men must be held responsible for their actions. Real men accept responsibility. We talked about that. Still, Josh Hawley says, can we be surprised if after years of being told that they are the problem, that manhood is the problem, more and more men are withdrawing into the enclave of idleness or pornography or video games? You keep telling guys you're the problem, and guys will say, well, okay, I'll just check out. Josh Hawley says, I found a comment by a young man given to the Wall Street Journal He said this was particularly evocative, particularly heartbreaking. He said, this young man said, I'm I'm sort of waiting for a light to come on so I can figure out what I'm supposed to do next. Josh Hawley says, I expect he speaks for many young men. And while some factions of our culture may celebrate the decline of manhood, we should not join them. The crisis of the American man is a crisis for the American Republic, for our civilization, and not just because it's American. A a crisis of masculinity in any culture will be a crisis for that culture, regardless of its its political or economic structure. It, it's been a crisis in the Soviet Union, where man manhood has been under attack, and men turned to vodka. It it's not a. It, this is not tied to patriotism. This is tied to how God made us as men and women. I'll wrap up with this, but I want to invite your calls as we wrap up at eight 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 fifty two talks, eight 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 five two eight two five five seven. We got a little time to take your call if you want to call in. Josh Holly cl- closes his his message by saying, "It's not just that millions of men are out of work." And that slows down our innovation or our economic growth. It's not just that billions of dollars in the welfare payments are being made to idle men, creating a fiscal issue year in and year out. Not just that depression and darkness shadow so many men. It's that liberty requires virtue. And in particular, it requires manly virtues. America needs good men. The liberty of our republic is demanding it. To keep a republic, you have to be willing to fight for it. To share in self-governments, you have to stand strong against those who would make you dependent on their wealth or their influence. To preserve liberty, you have to discipline your passions and sacrifice in the service of others. Josh Hawley says, for centuries, lovers of liberty have praised these qualities as the highest standards of manhood. It's not to say that women don't possess them, but it is to say that these virtues are the bright spot of the aggression and the competitiveness and the independence that psychologists and philosophers have long observed in men. We need these back. Uh, we'll go to the phones. Eight 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 fifty two talks is the number. Bill is with us in Brea. Bill, thanks for calling in this afternoon. How you doing? Yeah. Hi, Bob. Good to talk Can to you. you. Me? Yes. Yeah. Uh, boy, this is a uh, a subject for the ages. Yes, it is. Uh, um, as I was listening to you, I was thinking that this this uh, heading towards uh, what they call toxic masculinity can be summed up in one phrase. 
cultural Marxism. Hmm. And if you look up the definition of cultural Marxism, it becomes fairly clear that this is what's going on. This is a uh, this is a specialty of the left. Specialty of the left. You know, Josh Hawley in his speech references exactly what you're talking about, Herbert Marcuse and the the uh, the, the Frankfurt School and and cultural Marxism. It's the idea that uh, that society is divided into two groups: oppressors and the oppressed. And men are identified as the oppressors, and anyone who's not a man is the oppressed. And so we have to take uh, we have to take power away from men. And because they're oppressors and give it to other people, this is the tenet of cultural Marxism. Well, if you go to men and say, we're taking away all your power, then they'll head off to the video games and the bars and say, well, I guess there's nothing left for me to do. Rather than saying, let's use the power that you have for good, for right, for noble purposes, for the betterment of society, to help other people. And and I think, Bill, you've you've put your finger on something here, and and that is that when we fall into this idea that in order for society to work the way uh, it's supposed to work, we have to uh, we we have to get the powerful robbed of their power, and we have to give power to to those who are oppressed, and that'll fix everything. Well, now if there are people who are are using their power oppressively, if they're using their power to uh, to oppress other people then then yeah that's oppression is not right but the fact that some people have power and others don't doesn't mean that if you give the power to the other people it's going to fix it so there is a link between this idea of what's considered toxic masculinity and and cultural marxism and i I wish we had more time to, to dive into it but we're wrapping things up this hour i think the message for us is it's time to recapture uh, and, and to honor some of these traditional masculine virtues and to understand what the Bible has to say about these things. I'll, I'll wrap with this, with the passage in the Bible that says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let everything you do be done in love. That's what the Bible says. You want to know what it means to act like men? Be on the alert, be strong in the faith, be strong, let everything you do be done in love. We've got to wrap it up there. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. We'll see you back tomorrow on Southern California Live on KKLA. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.